Welcome, I'm Lana. Joining me is Michelle Malkin, who is an American blogger, conservative syndicated columnist, and author. She was one of the first to be on the scene in the early days of political blogging and on social media. Michelle has written for most major conservative publications, worked at Fox News, and she's spoken at the largest Republican gatherings. Well, today she has become a fellow thought criminal, daring to go where most Republicans won't go. She'll talk all about it, so stick around. Michelle Malkin, a warm welcome. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Lana. Yeah, I was telling you earlier, if someone had told me a few years ago that you would be on Red Ice, I, I don't think I would have believed it. But life takes these interesting twists and turns, and it's encouraging because it makes me feel like, you know, anything can happen. And so I keep that in mind when things seem kind of insurmountable and gloom, because here we are, right? Well, yeah, and I think that there's been an interesting convergence of forces that led us to be here together. And in a lot of ways, uh, I've been highlighting uh, the censorship, the crackdown, uh, the toxic alliance of a number of forces that are driving free thinkers and dissidents, not only from America, but obviously around the world, uh, off of uh, public spaces and uh, social media public squares. And I've preached for a long time that we have to stick together because uh, the connection, the alliance of, of forces on the other side um, is very intent on purging all of us. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been more outspoken about it and I've enjoyed what is considered a so-called mainstream career for the last 25 years. And I've had a lot of um, time to reflect on what exactly it is I want to do with the platform that I have been fortunate enough to, to build up over these years. And so especially over the last year, one of the things I was committed to was to try to be a voice for the people who had been depersoned and unplatformed. And then, of course, interestingly enough, and one could have predicted it, I myself became a target of that. And I think that by persistence, I've tried to push back against cancel culture. And along the way, I've, I've tried to help um, open up a lot of eyes in the mainstream um, about the fact that there are folks like you out there who've been smeared by the same groups that have targeted me and many other, um, you know, favorite personalities that have been pushed off YouTube and, and Facebook. And I think that um, the more that we can make people aware that these forces are coordinated, that they are well-funded, uh, and they don't have the interests of our country at heart, uh, I think the better off we'll all be. Absolutely. And you're doing awesome work and we're so happy to have you. And it's interesting how one door closes. Some people may blacklist you and then you found this this whole other area welcoming you and all these, you know, young, youthful kids that are so supportive to have you. And I want to talk about that. But first, I have to say we're we're talking in a time when people across the country are self-quarantined for coronavirus. Now, have you been social distancing, as they say? What's going on over there? Yeah, so I'm in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and uh, we recently had our governor um, issue a series of um, more more narrowing uh, of uh, gatherings and and so forth. And so you know, to the extent that it's practical, uh, myself, my husband, and my two teenage children uh, are doing what we can to self distance. Um, but you know, you can't completely um, cut yourself off from society or from uh, living in the neighborhood. And in some uh, aspects, in some respects, um, it, it seems like normal life goes on. You know, yeah. um, I'm recovering from uh, an abdominal surgery and, and I really, really have missed over the last three weeks being able to hike. It's my big thing. And so, uh, you know, when the weather was nice here a couple of days ago, it was just wonderful to get out and get some fresh air. And you see all the kids in the neighborhood on their scooters and people walking their dogs. And there's this surreal sense of normalcy uh, about that. And I think that the further away that you live from these uh, huge metropolitan cities where everybody is unnaturally crammed together, and yeah. of course, a lot of that is the result of, of a certain type of social engineering, um, the more you get people who are living and breathing in, in open free spaces, 
and um, are healthier for it. Yep, so, exactly. Yeah. Think about it, all the propaganda outlets. You have the universities, the schools that are shut down, the sports, the Hollywood, the, the bread and circus. So we're seeing less crowds, uh, less feminists, less protests, you know, more people at home with their families, more people thinking about their health, people starting gardens. Uh, and I would say less refugees, but that's not true because I just happened to see that you were tweeting right. about, uh, except the borders are still open for, for refugees, unfortunately. I was going to say less mass immigration, uh, less pollution, but I don't know. Immigration is still continuing, yes, for refugees. Yes, it, it, it is. And I'll get to that in a second. But I absolutely agree with you. There are some interesting silver linings to the turning inward, to the turning inwards towards your family, towards nuclear families, and uh, sort of a, a rethinking about, you know, what it means to be reconnected. Um, and, you know, there's there are some strange paradoxes, because on the one hand, people are, you know, cooping themselves up in houses, and, you know, they can be together. I mean, we're doing board games and, uh, you know, just a lot of, of family stuff and cooking together and all these kinds of things. Um, but at the same time, uh, the internet has been critical to people being able to communicate with each other. And here we are being able to have this conversation, which is, you know, um, a, truly a blessing. So um, yeah, there's a lot of paradoxes about life in America in the age of the woo flow. Uh, and one of those paradoxes, of course, is that around the world, uh, there is this increasing awareness that open borders is a danger not only to our civic uh, culture and, uh, and, our, and our national culture in general, but our, our public safety, our national security, and obviously our public health. And yet at the same time that there's a lot of, I think, premature chest beating about uh, a triumph over globalism <laughs> here in our, our own country, as, as you referred to, and as I've, I have been carping about on Twitter, there are so many programs that continue apace uh, including the resettling of so-called unaccompanied minors, illegal aliens, so-called youth, uh, who declare themselves refugees and are still getting bussed or flown into the interior of the country. And obviously, you've talked about this and uh, to your peril, of course, and so many of us risking our, our careers and, and our own safety to get this message out about the demographic conquest. Um, but also the refugee resettlement program itself, not just south of the border, um, but thousands in the Center of Immig Immigration Studies just uh, released a, a new counting, a head count of this yesterday. Thousands of people who continue to be flown here um, under the sponsorship of the United Nations and, um, you know, to the lucrative profit of all of these uh, religious groups that are uh, exclusive contractors to the federal government, getting money from the State Department, the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, and then, of course, all of the supplemental money from the transnationalist groups, the Soros-funded groups to, um, you know, infect our country from within, if you want to talk about a virus. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's interesting, too, that the government now what we're seeing across the country is businesses are temporarily closing their doors. And in fact, some are, are permanently because they can't continue like this. People have had to lay off employees. The economy is tanking. All of this could have just been prevented early on had they have just closed the borders. But everyone was shrieking at the concept of closing the borders right to to protect the people. And now we've seen insider trading, as you've been writing about. You also are writing about Elaine. Chow, some interesting stuff there. Uh, mega corporations and banks are now getting bailouts. Uh, meanwhile, it's the little guys are losing their businesses. There's not going to be any kind of mortgage vacation like Italy is doing for for people. So people are probably going to be losing their homes. What do you think about all this? Is the has the government just gone crazy with this yeah, the lockdown I mean, right now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that the you know again, there's another paradox because. Uh, governments and particularly the public health industrial complex, as I call it, both underreacts and overreacts. And through it all, of course, there have been a lot of basic lies. And those lies have caused deaths. And those lies have caused delays in what the proper response uh, should have been very early on. And President Trump does get a little bit of credit, I mean, considerable credit for doing what he could do, um, you know, maybe eight weeks ago it was when he limited a certain amount of 
uh, inflow coming from China. But as you said, Lana, the this uh, you know this deadly PC uh, response to singling out the origins of the disease and the tourism and uh, the number of thousands of, of uh, students that come from China who hold F1 student visas in this country. Um, it's really about following in the money. And it's not merely about hurting feelings, right? We had this uh, uh, Chinese-born uh, West Virginian um, journalist who was whining that somebody said Kung flu in front of her. <laughs> she wouldn't name who it was in the Trump administration. But that just shows you how unserious a country we are. I mean, the entire news cycle has been hijacked over uh, this back and forth between Trump supporters and Trump himself and the never Trumpers and, uh, you know, the, the liberal media over whether it's racist or not to identify the, the virus by where it came from. I mean, that's what we're talking about, really, it's uh, instead of the, the right, instead of the World Health Organization lying about whether masks were effective or not. Um, and, you know, we've we've got some good people in, in mainstream media who are concentrating on the serious issues. And I would put Tucker Carlson at the top yeah. of that list. Uh, but even he is limited in what he's able to say, I believe, on on Fox News. Uh, Paul Ryan, one of the biggest open borders, uh, Republican swamp creatures, is now on the board of directors there. And so, you know, and I've worked for Fox for mm -hmm. upwards of That's two right. decades. I know. And I, I know exactly what happens on uh, the inside of these corporate media institutions. Um, and it's just, I mean, it, that's what they, it, it is what it is, right? It's a, it's a New York-based, multi-global corporation. Rupert Murdoch has been at the forefront of lobbying for open borders uh, in Washington, D.C., joining hands with the likes of Michael Bloomberg and Bill Gates. Uh, you know, I've, wrote it, I've written about this in my books and, and my columns. And, uh, you know, they can have a couple of, of good people on TV who understand the, the grave consequences of our open borders for the last 30, 40, 50 years. But, you know, these institutions themselves, these corporate media institutions themselves, uh, you know, they may not have literal blood on their hands, um, but they'll never... Uh, They'll never cop to their own complicity in the current situation that they are now covering and blaming on Trump. They never do. And unfortunately, I wish that was one of the things I was hoping that maybe uh, some mainstream media would go down for a certain period because they were talking about not allowing more than, what, 10 people gathering in the same space or something like that. OK, well, what about CNN and all these yeah. like major headquarters? How about we uh, shut that down for a while? I think that could do a lot of good in this country. Right. Two months of no, no mainstream media. <laughs> yeah, good point. I wish that Trump could uh, exercise his wartime powers and, <laughs> and uh, not, not only uh, take over the, the three major dinosaur networks, but yeah. CNN, Fox News and, and Twitter, for that matter. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to get into kind of your journey. A lot of our listeners in Europe, they might not know you, but you've gone from speaking at the biggest Republican gatherings in America to criticizing conservative Inc. and their weak sellout positions. You know, they're being um, America last to speaking at a gathering of identitarians and America first nationalists recently at a small hotel or not hotel room, but a conference center of about, what, 150 kids who are you know generally being called white supremacists and all those other other terms and they loved you and your speech and it was very inspiring. So tell us how this journey unfolded from basically a neocon conservative ink to here you are today talking to us. Yeah, so it's interesting because I never called myself or considered myself a neocon and I'd always had had grassroots establishment um, sensibilities. Um, from the very beginning of my newspaper career, I had been very critical of big business Republicans, um, hypocritical Republicans who would always beat their chests about being limited government while they were feeding at the corporate welfare trough. Um, but in terms of my journey from uh, being somebody who had always advocated for immigration enforcement, somebody who had always identified as an unhyphenated American, pointed out the fact that my parents themselves were immigrants to this country in 1970 from the Philippines and had always advocated for, embraced, and practiced being assimilated Americans. 
Um, I think what happened was from the very bo first book that I wrote after 9-11 called Invasion, which looked at the systemic failures of our immigration system to protect us from uh, jihad uh, till 2015 when I wrote a book with a former American um, computer software programmer, John Miano, who uh, then became a lawyer representing American IT workers combating guest worker programs uh, like the H-1B program, L-1, B-1, all exploited by big business uh, to import massive numbers of low-wage tech workers, mostly from China and India, uh, till this latest book, which came out uh, last fall, Open Borders Incorporated, which just took um, a comprehensive look uh, globally at who was funding what I consider uh, an a transnational human smuggling racket, uh, which has led to our demographic demise uh, in the United States, a trend, of course, that is happening around the world. I think along the way, um, my eyes were open to certain, unfortunately, black-pilled realities. One of them being that, uh, you know, our, our future in America had already be, been set in stone in 1965 with the Hart-Celler Act and the uh, fundamental transformation of who was going to get into the country, the false promises of people like Teddy Kennedy that uh, reworking the numbers and the places of origin that people were coming in from, um, shifting from Europe to the third world, uh, the false promise that this was not going to have any um, effect on American culture and American sovereignty. Uh, and then considering what happened in 1986, when, of course, the mainstream uh, conservative hero, Ronald Reagan, signed the 1986 amnesty into law, amnestying millions and millions of uh, future Democrat voters. So, you know, connecting all of these dots and um, allying myself with um, people who were willing to talk about demographics is what led to um, me appreciating the role of young uh, America first. I mean, you can call them identitarians. You can call them whatever you want. I mean, I identify with only one identity, American identity. I've only had one home. I have one loyalty to this country only. And that's when you start getting into trouble, because what you do is start illuminating all of the moneyed interests that don't actually have our interests at heart. <laughs> and I think a lot, of, of course, this is what you're referring to by when, when we talk about neocon. And so I think, um, you know, my support for the invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan were motivated by uh, my genuine support, which I've, you know, always maintained over the years. I think a lot of it is sentimental. My uh, maternal grandfather served in the Philippine army and uh, had an incredible love of the United States um, and was a survivor of the Bataan Death March. So my sensibility, especially developed uh, at a liberal arts uh, college was to always be reflexively for the troops and for law enforcement. And I think, um, I think that, you know, I think that also having gone to Iraq in 2007 and convinced myself that this uh, counterinsurgency experiment was actually going to work. And then it, you know, obviously the, this death toll, this waste, this monumental waste of uh, the youngest, bravest, strongest American men um, got me to rethink what exactly that war was fought for and who to whose benefit mm -hmm. uh and um of course the the neocon wing in the um under the bush years um you know these people had never been my fellow travelers when it came to um my monomaniacal they would call it my mon monomaniacal focus on immigration enforcement and then of course um the shedding light on the the actual numbers, which they never wanted to talk about, the numbers and the origin of people coming into this country. And so when these America First kids uh, started showing up at, you know, neocon um, sponsored events uh, for TPUSA and for um, for Young Americans Foundation, which was the first to disavow me, 
I just thought, wow, this is incredibly disruptive and it is so needed. And it didn't take a lot of moneyed interest to um, have these kids just simply walk up to the microphone and ask questions about uh, foreign aid to Israel and um, the effect of bringing in millions of people from China and India on um, American students who've been who've been um, convinced and persuaded for the last several years to go into so-called STEM fields, right? When they're being stabbed in the back by uh, all of the corporate and Silicon Valley sponsors of, of H-1B. Um, and, you know, when those kids got the pushback that they did, when they were ostracized, when they were smeared, many of them kicked off of, of uh, YouTube, just like uh, Red Ice TV. Um, many of them uh, labeled as anti-Semitic, xenophobic, white nationalist, the whole thing. Um, you know, I just, it, to me, it was a fork in the road. It was an opportunity to, uh, you know, choose a path um, and not look back. And after 25 years, you know, I've never regretted any any choice that I've made, but this one probably more gratifying than than any other choice that I've made because these kids are the future. Your viewers are are the future. Well, you found the true counterculture now. I was really impressed during your little speech <laughs> there. You knew all the edgy memes and all the fun stuff and you know they they really they loved that and you're definitely staying relevant. Let me tell you exactly. It is the future. Now demographics when people say that a lot of people on the left they say oh well you just you know that's code for you want america to be white and i say well wh what's wrong with having a white majority if it was founded as a european country why is that such a racist dirty awful thing when every other country in the world china is chinese israel is jewish and so on i can i can go through all the different countries that are ethno-nationalist if you will you know philippines right it's mostly filipino people isn't that the wonders of diversity isn't that what it's supposed to be isn't that how the gods created us and and made made each nation and each tribe of people so what do you say to that as a filipino well you just want america to be white like that's a bad thing yeah well like i said i identify as an american and uh, i've got family back in the philippines and sure i eat filipino food and i can understand tagalog i can't speak it um but i was born here i was raised here I've traveled all around the world and there's only one place where I'm relieved when I come back home and that's this home. And, uh, you know, the problem with a lot of the open borders neocons is they still live in this nostalgia thinking that they can bring in millions of people from around the world and that this, uh, that this um, phenomenon of so-called assimilation will just happen on its own. And like there's a, such a this cognitive dissonance, right? Because these are the people that make millions of dollars either through private philanthropy uh, or you know through the political system, um, harping on just how bad the public K through 12 education system is. Well, if that system is indoctrinating them in anti-white hatred and white privilege doctrine, where is the assimilation that's happening that that you know that they so celebrate? Uh, and, and instead, what you get is this multicultural rot, um, white guilt, um, which is plied every single day in every um, cultural Marxist leftist institution. Um, and you've got literally, I mean, I, I have been in contact with a young man who was a law school student in Oklahoma who had put up an it's OK to be white banner. And he was nearly criminally charged. Jeez. He was expelled from his law school and um, and now is without a job, uh, without a means of education. And none of these so-called conservative institutions that are fighting the cultural wars will stand up for him. Yeah. Meanwhile, what, what are they in, engage in? A, a, a very different kind of identity politics that panders to the left. Right. Um, and that's true. That's truly a self-loathing suicidal attitude yeah there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with and i don't apologize as somebody who has non-white skin for defending the idea that america should maintain its historic demographic balance that we've gone completely out of whack does that mean that i should self-deport does it mean that you know that's what america should be no but it certainly means that we should rethink everything that we've done since 1965 because you know if if people don't like what we're living under now with this kind of self-quarantine and they can't connect the dots 
between this public health catastrophe that we have now and the open borders policies that both parties uh, have imposed upon us over the last 30 years, then, you know, there's a reason why, I mean, a lot of times I call the stage of America that we're at end stage America. Yeah, absolutely. And people have to realize, too, I mean, there's a lot of people that aren't white in America that want to have a white majority. They don't (laughs) they came here because it was a European country, because it wasn't a third world country. And now what we're seeing is the the influx of third world, mostly third world immigration, right? Low skilled. It's going to if you import in the third world, it's going to turn the country into a third world. And none of your children will prosper in that. It's not going to be better for anyone. A lot of people think it's going to be a kumbaya fest if just these evil white people are out of the picture. What do you think about that? Well, all you have to do is look at the exit polls from the last midterm elections. And of course, there's growing awareness. It's okay if the left says it. It's okay if the mainstream news paper articles point to California turning blue, Virginia turning blue, Texas turning blue. You look at the exit polls of Asian Americans, Indian Americans, Muslim Americans, Latin American and Central Americans. What do they support? They support more gun control. They support less freedom. They support abortion. You know, it's the entire left wing agenda. And yet if you bring this up to your standard uh, neocon, con inc, establishment GOP, the first thing they do is, well, I don't have anything to do with you. You're racist. It's like, well, you want to throw our country under the bus. What does that make you? Exactly. Exactly. I guess they're just okay with it going left then. And just anything, just don't call me a racist. Okay, we'll just all become leftists then. I know it's so sad and so pitiful watching them. I was watching, you know, the Groypers asking questions and watching them tongue-tied, not being able to answer. Like, what what do they think is going to happen? They're not going to have a Republican Party. Then they try and, and wheel out their, their token supporters, <laughs> let's be honest. Their token, yeah. you know, a person of color so they can brag about yes. like, oh, look at, look at my black friend here supports it. My Mexican friend supports it. But statistically, that's just not true. I mean, when you look at averages and the majorities. Exactly. And, you know, I don't know whether it's just uh, ideological stupidity, a blind spot. In some cases with some of these people, they don't care. They they honestly don't give a damn as long as they're getting paid by somebody. And um, one of the things that is a big irritant to me is this whole idea of like Flexit and Latinx it and all this kind of thing, <laughs> right? Whatever, you know, Jexit, the whole, all of these exit things, as if that would make any kind of material difference. It's a trickle, right? Like, let's delude ourselves into thinking that they will, um, you know, transform or convert some small number of people in these minority groups to, to vote for Trump or uh, to vote for, Re- for Republican in November, compared to the flood of people that they continue to let in through every guest worker program across the board illegally through refugee resettlement. I mean, the whole thing is such a joke and a charade. But if you tell one of these people who's getting paid to do all of that, boy, are they thin-skinned about it. Forget about the color. Very. And then they'll say... Then they'll say, well, uh, Latinos are natural conservatives or Indians or whatever. Maybe maybe in their country, but something happens when they all come to America. They vote, they, they're going to vote for the Gibbs every time. They're going to vote for the party that gives them special perks and privileges just because of the color of their skin. I mean, let's be honest, right? Of course, they're going to vote yeah. for that party that's going to offer them all this stuff for free, you know? So. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And yet, and yet the establishment Republicans are still deluded. You'll hear, you'll still hear this. I've heard this for 20 years, Lana. Well, what we really need to do is just copy the, the left and uh, send out more of our volunteers to the naturalization ceremonies. We just need to be, do better outreach. We really just need to talk to them more. Right, right. By the time they're 21 or 30 or 35 or whatever, yeah, they're really going to, the light is going to go off in their head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. Man. It's so silly. Now, I want to ask you, too, about your realization with the uh, Israel first realization. And I think also, you, you know, of course, you've been accused of being an anti-Semite as soon as you're somewhat critical of Israel or someone that happens to be Jewish, which a lot of the neocons who got us into wars happen to be Jewish. Right. As soon as you question this, you're going to get called all these names, which I think you recently have. We do, too. And I think you said you have a Jewish husband, too, didn't you, in this speech? I do. do? Okay, so so tell us about this realization and also tell us about uh, what he thinks about all this, too. I'm curious. 
Well, you know, uh, he's been my partner in crime since we were in college together fighting uh, you know, the wages of cultural Marxism and multiculturalism. And uh, he fully backs everything that I have done and said over the course of my career. We've been business partners, founded uh, two social media companies. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's behind the scenes, but he's um, he's he's done a lot of, of reading and thinking himself. And so our um, our journey when it comes to especially with these endless wars um, has led us uh, to um, enlightenment in all sorts of areas. And I will say this, and I've, I've said it before, and I will, I, I have no hesitation saying it. I don't think any of these matters is um, beyond or should be beyond public discourse. And I find it one of the biggest disgraces that among the con inkers who fashion themselves free speech warriors, they're the very first to stifle any kind of dissent on these matters when it comes to questioning whether it's in our best interests to constantly parrot the line that Israel is and always will be our greatest ally on every single policy matter, uh, whether it affects us domestically or with regard to foreign policy. That's ridiculous. America first means America first, not tied to the hip of uh, Israel and its government and its interests or any other one. And you know, I talked about this at at uh, the America First Political Action Conference. I mean, over the course of my uh, career, um, I focused on the dual loyalties of, for example, Mexican-Americans who had infested our university system with uh, talk of Azatlan and taking over the Southwest. Um, after 9-11, I highlighted the dual loyalties of many uh, agents of jihad, uh, many of them who had access to the Bush administration, who were it, w within the White House just days before uh, 9-11. I've talked about uh, dual loyalties of Chinese agents, for example. And even during the Bush years, I had highlighted a very little noticed scandal that happened with APAC, the American-Israeli Political Action Conference, um, where two APAC members had apparently um, been able to gain uh, classified information from a low-level uh, Bush official, Larry Franklin. And I thought it was very strange even back then. I thought, wait a minute, uh, usually the rest of the conservative blogosphere uh, and you know the, blog, the blogosphere was new media back in, in the mid-2000s. Usually they'd hop, uh, yeah, they'd jump all over these kinds of um, issues with regard to uh, the dangers of, of dual, dual loyalty. And um, nobody else was paying attention to that scandal, not at least until the Obama um, era came along and uh, there was a revisiting of of, uh, of that scandal. And so, you know, I had sort of touched on it in and out, um, but it really wasn't until I saw these kids asking these questions on campus where you could see the, the visceral almost, um, uh, I'm not going to say violence, but uh, vehement response of the likes of Charlie Kirk and Ben Shapiro, how dare they keep these yeah. kids, you know, raise these questions, whether it was, you know, uh, the USS Liberty or um, uh, or aid, foreign aid to Israel, or, you know, what was so striking was a very simple question that was asked of Charlie Kirk, where a kid basically said, well, if the interests of America and Israel diverged, who, which side would you pick? And he could not Yeah, he couldn't choose. Is this a trick question? Oh, no, if I answer this wrong, my, my funding might be cut. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. And, then, and then, you know, the more that these kids asked specific policy questions, the, the more it revealed just how weak, thin-skinned, defensive, and ultimately duplicitous um, many of these so-called America Firsters really are. And I would put Dan Crenshaw at the top right. of that list. Yeah. Uh, he's been worst. When he was asked a very, very trenchant question about these anti-BDS laws and whether or not they infringed on free speech, I mean, he just he just became so unhinged, unwound, and hysterical. Um, like, I don't see how any good faith person could watch mm -hmm. that and think, wait no. a minute, wait a minute, there's something else going on. 
Yeah, and as people have pointed out, they are getting paid by certain people that, that have those uh, foreign interests, you know, with Israel in mind. So it really always does usually come down to money or some kind of fame because they know it is the kiss of death, really, <laughs> as a conservative, if you start uh, criticizing or, or questioning or looking at anything involving Israel. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, what about all the anti-Semite claims? <laughs> What do you think? I mean, because it's used as a trick all the time. Just shout anti-Semite like racist. Oh, okay, that's an argument. We shut them down. We slandered them. So now we don't actually have to answer their valid claims, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, many of the groups that I highlighted in Open Up Borders Incorporated, the Southern Poverty Law Center, are great friends, right, Lana? <laughs> Such liars. And, uh, the, right, right. The Anti-Defamation League working in concert not only with Silicon Valley companies like Twitter and Facebook, but un unfortunately also with many of these con inc forces. Yeah. And I think that it's uh, it's that intersection that more and more people are seeing. And I maybe I'm being too optimistic here because of course, uh, you know, as 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 the as the screws get turned even tighter, especially the people who are exploiting this uh, China virus crisis to get their way. Um, you know, the broadening of the definition of harm by both Twitter and Facebook um, to push more of us off. Uh, the, the, the redefining of any kind of dissident questioning as so-called conspiracy theorizing. Uh, on the one hand, that's, you know, it just, it's terrifying. And yet on the other hand, there's part of me that feels like, especially over, you know, the battles that I have had over the last six months, that more and more mainstream normie people are seeing how empty this anti-Semitism slur really is, because everything is anti-Semitic, and I talked about that in the in the AFPAC speech, um, and you know specifically with regard to criticizing George Soros, criticizing uh, many of the Jewish groups that are behind refugee resettlement, and um, and that are you know linking hands with uh, many of these open borders evangelical Christians and Catholics uh, to import massive numbers of people illegally across our border and then give them sanctuary, um, you know, right off the bat, before I even open my mouth, you know, right at the very start of, of my book tour, I'm already labeled anti-Semitic. And that was way before I, you know, had anything to do with uh, Next Fuentes or America First or AIM or AFPAC, anything like that. Um, it just shows you what their agenda is. And they have been very successful, very successful. Um, and I think, like, if you look at the mainstream of the Republican Party, um, you know, it seems like their number one goal is not to be called any of these names instead of being able to unapologetically and vociferously uh, protect and defend their country first. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, I want to ask you, what do you, you think? Uh, you seem to be kind of prophetic in that way. The ultimate agenda, and this is a big question, of a lot of these elites that are really pushing this multiculturalism and so-called diversity. I mean, they'll use tanks and missiles to enforce this. They'll, I mean, they're trying to basically outlaw being critical of, of mass immigration. What do you think their ultimate agenda is? Why are they pushing so hard, these globalists, this cabal? Why is it so important to make the West multicultural? So it is about undermining the sovereignty of every Western industrialized country. And uh, you, you, the, the fates of both Europe and the United States are intertwined. And we've seen the demise of so many of uh, the countries in Europe at the hands of open borders, industrialists, globalists, uh, and, um, and, and uh, these figureheads in, in power uh, in, in government. And, uh, and, you know, slowly they have infiltrated um, every civic and cultural institution. Um, and they have succeeded, as we referred to um, earlier in, in our conversation, in uh, using the school system to uh, brainwash um, entire generations of Americans to feel guilty about their culture, to feel guilty about their identity and to feel guilty about their race. Everybody is allowed to be an identitarian except for white European people whose ancestors founded mm. America. Um, and so, I mean, the easy answer is that it is all about money, but you know, even with, with if, even if you take a look at like a, a globalist philanthropist like George Soros, it's not just about the money. I mean, he has mm. specifically 
said, uh, declared in speeches and in his books, uh, that that sovereignty is an obstacle to his larger goals of, of global governance. Uh, and so, I mean, you see this, you know, I don't know if you've talked, you talked about this, but there was this uh, video that came out by some uh, social media uh, little entity called Now This. Oh, yeah. We and it was that. called Brown, right? Right? Brown Power. Oh, yeah. And like, I mean, they're open, right? They're, they're yeah, right out answer, in the right? open. They're no open. problem. Yeah. Fists out, you know? They're, yeah. Right. Right. And they're openly bragging about it. And um, I consider these kinds of things incitements to violence mm -hmm. um, against white people. And um, and there's this subjugation um, element to all of it, whether it's Hollywood or social media, things like this, um, as well as the larger agenda in government. And I think for me um, professionally, one of the most important things that I can do is illuminate the fact that these forces have entirely hijacked the Republican Party. And even though we have a president who campaigned and won on protecting America first and building a wall and all that, in so many ways, it is business as usual, even in these apocalyptic times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, thanks for defending us. <laughs> you know, I always say I, I didn't even think about race or talk about these things until I started hearing <clears throat> excuse me, all this anti-whiteness and hearing about white privilege and, oh, you white supremacists and your ancestors are evil and only white people can be racist. And then I thought, hey, wait a minute here. Of course I have to defend myself. And then now defending ourselves is going to be practically against the law. That's where they're going with it. So it's like, okay, who's really the oppressed one here too? And people say, well, but there's all these white people in power. They don't care about us. They're globalists. They don't have any allegiance to us as a group or think of us as a people. I mean, they just, they hate us as much as everyone else, it seems like. But yeah, I think ultimately there's agenda with the West. Um, European people stand in the way of that global governance and they, they do want them out of the picture, I think. Yeah. And let me just say one um, other thing just to add to it, because, you know, a lot of people just it doesn't compute for them. You know, they look at my skin color, they, they look at my face, they look at my eye shape and they and they think to themselves, you know, so it's a so they call me a white supremacist. Right. It was, I'm not. Uh, and come on, you're and, the new face of white they, supremacy. Candace Owens, get out of the right. way. You know, Michelle Malkin now. Yeah, right. Well, well, let's, Candace Owens still doesn't get it very much no, either. She, she was one of those prickly pe yeah. people who doesn't get it about mass migration. Yeah. I mean, they're still stuck. And, you know, I've talked about this before. So much of the mainstream GOP is still stuck on, well, I'm against illegal immigration, but I'm for legal immigration. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, then you're still for, right, destroying our country. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, you know, my own parents were raised um, Catholic and I, uh, trained at Jesuit universities. My mom was a public school teacher. My father was um, a doctor. He was a neonatologist. And um, my mom especially, of course, inculcated in me uh, this passion and love for Western literature, the Western canon, um, the, the great books and the great ideas uh, that were propagated by dead white men. And so somehow this makes me a sellout because I was born in America and I want to preserve those institutions, those ideas, those traditions, that culture, um, a culture that allowed me to, to flourish and um, have the success that I do. I'm not the one that's a hypocrite. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's all the ingrates who've come into this country and um, and vote to try and transform it and turn it into the hell holes that they came from. Um, they're the true hypocrites, not not me. And um, and it saddens me to think about um, so many of the people who have sat on the sidelines, not just the ones who've actively uh, tried to sabotage our country, but the people who are too afraid and feckless and just willingly blind, deaf and dumb to do anything about it. Oh, yeah. It drives me nuts. The cowards. They're too comfortable. They're enjoying, you know, whatever, uh, you know, resources or money or fame that they're getting to say anything to speak out, you know, in defense of the truth. But this is our children's future here. I mean, this is why I give it all. I think about what kind of world will my sons grow up in, especially being white males when they're being picked on. And, and you know, some of these headlines that come out are unbelievable. The world would be better off without straight white men. And, I mean, they're basically sitting targets. You know, so as a mother, I can't yeah. just sit by and just say nothing. I don't want my kids to grow up in that kind of world. 
I definitely feel feel you on that, Lana, and uh, you know, I feel the same way with my children who are now 19 and 16. And it's one of the reasons why I felt so compelled to to speak up for these young kids on these college campuses. Um, you know, many of the TPUSA chapters have dissolved because they understand that the elites. Uh, within their own institution. We're selling them down the river. Um, and there are many other newfound American identity groups that are out there now advocating for themselves in a way that they never have before, um, and particularly American workers. Um, you know, I've done a lot of work on H1B, F1, OPT. There are now, I think, a half dozen new groups that have formed outside of the DC establishment. And of course, a lot of those DC groups have done a lot of, of good work, and maybe some of your viewers are familiar with them, Numbers USA, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. But those are old line groups. Those are mostly older uh, generation um, boomers uh, and beyond. And there really needs to be fresh blood. There really needs to be people, young people especially, who are willing to put their boots on the ground. Um, and the problem with so much of the Beltway Con Inc. establishment is they've grown fat and happy and complacent in their DC swamp, um, you know, proselytizing um, their phony talking points from, you know, green rooms and salons and corporate media um, TV studios while the country deteriorates. That's right. I have to ask you, though, do you think it's too late? We have these, you know, true American nationalists emerging. You know who they are. Uh, is it too late to save America? Is it too far gone thinking in terms of the numbers? What kind of chance do you think they have? What can, what can they do to save <laughs> this country? Yeah, well, you know, it almost feels like what is the uh, I'm blanking out here. I'm having middle aged mom brain. But the the little boy who put his thumb in the in the dike of the oh hole, the Dutch the, boy the yeah. yeah yeah the Dutch boy mm -hmm. right you kind of get a little bit of a sense of that right mm -hmm. yeah. but you know I think that um, I think that the more that there's a movement building for a full immigration moratorium you hear people more and more emboldened to say that uh, you know the the AI algorithms on on Twitter haven't suppressed that yet um, you have a number of young congressional candidates and local and state political candidates that get it about mass migration and know they don't have billionaire backers um, behind them. But, you know, Donald Trump himself, uh, of course, he had his own personal wealth, but he was completely outside of so much of the GOP establishment. Um, it, you know, he was able to defeat all of these uh, Lilliputian um, Republican rivals um, and it was the force of, of one great idea, America First, that got him there. I think also we have to remember that there, there's a, a long history of, of America First grassroots activism and movement. Um, a lot of these young people now do pay proper homage to people like Pat Buchanan um, or you know grassroots activists who maybe not be may not be known globally, but made a huge difference here domestically in the United States, like. Phyllis Schlafly, for example, who I um, praised during my AFPAC speech. And um, I think that because of the ability of social media, even as limited and constrained as it has been for these kids to be able to organize and, and communicate, they have more of an opportunity than ever to, to do something to at least stave off maybe the inevitable decline and demise of, of this country. Every empire falls. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, now is the time, especially with this virus illuminating all of our core issues to take advantage of it. You know, the left always exploits a crisis. Um, we could be doing a better job of it ourselves. Absolutely. And we have to try against all odds. I mean, that's what our ancestors have been doing since forever. That's why we're here. That's why we survived against all odds. I would rather fight and die trying knowing that I did something then sit by and just do nothing and be comfortable. And I think you're the same way. And I, I thank you for your bravery, you know, to have a discussion with me and, and so many others, you know, to get to the root of the problem, to get to the truth, because that's ultimately what this is about. And that is why we need free speech, free speech to talk about everything, air everything out, no matter how ugly or controversial or edgy. The best course of action is to always discuss all these things and dissect them and put them out in the public. I mean, that is really the answer. Don't you think the same? 
I I do, and um, I have to you know just reiterate what you just said about your own bravery um, and continuing to educate people about these matters, you know, all across the world. And, you know, I don't really care what people call me anymore. Um, they've been calling me things for the last 20, 25 years. Um, and I think it's an opportunity to talk to uh, informed, smart people who care about the same core values, core tradition, um, and, and core culture. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm tired of, you know, being in that conic echo chamber where there's so many phonies that don't believe the things that I do. And so, you know, I've used this opportunity to, um, you know, broaden the circles of people I talk to. And, and so I have to thank you for this opportunity as well, Lana. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and I find, too, I'm hearing from more people the last year around the world. I'm hearing from nationalists in, in other foreign countries who support us. You know, I, I hear from Chinese. I hear from Indians. I hear from people, of course, all across Europe and Australia, not only the West, but outside the West. A lot of people see this plague of globalism, and it may be affecting the West the hardest right now, but they're not going to just stop with the West. They're, they're going to go hit up all these other countries next, too, and that's why it's important to have a worldwide global coalition, I think, of nationalists. And I think that that really is coming together. And I think that that really, truly freaks out a lot of these globalists. That's why they're trying so hard to ha- have these task forces, you know, task forces, you know, trying to stop these people from having any online communications and studying us like we're these uh, animals in a zoo, you know. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, that's that's for sure. You know, just one last thing, because it, it just reminds me that uh, there was a clip of, of Charlie Kirk of TPUSA railing against Japan's immigration policy. I don't know if you caught this, but he was complaining that Japan had only allowed in three refugees <sighs> last year, as if this was a complete disgrace. And here comes globalist meddler yeah. Charlie Kirk, who at the same time is promoted by President Trump himself as this heroic America firster, having the chutzpah, you want to use a word, chutzpah, to tell Japan that it needs to open its borders more to refugees and re- I mean unbelievable it's just, yeah yeah it really is and that yeah. and, the, and that's that's why you know sovereignty loving people in uh, Western countries um, that have healthy functioning immigration systems agree with you and agree with me that uh, you know people who are uh, Uh, People who love their homeland should be allowed to defend it. That's right. And we make sense. Everything that we present, they don't shut us down because what we say isn't true and full of lies and conspiratorial mumbo jumbo. They shut us down because what we say is true, because we're affecting people and we're reaching people and we're making a difference. Otherwise, they wouldn't fear it. They're just, uh, who is this little channel on YouTube? But they're afraid of channels that have, you know, 400,000 subs. What is that compared to the mainstream media, the, the media machine in this country? I mean, they're so terrified of any little channels or blogs. They want to shut it all down. It tells you how weak and scared they really are because what they stand on, their foundation is not truth. They always stand on lies. And ultimately, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go down. It's going to crumble. It's not a matter of if. It's actually a matter of when. So I think we just have to help kind of push that down, you know, because really this isn't the America we want to live in. I think that we can do better. There's a lot of ways where we've just gone to the dark side you know it's not it's not really the america i want to preserve either you know just mass consumerism and just all this junk on netflix and like that's not the america i'm fighting for you know yeah absolutely and you know the reason why uh these types of people these conning open borders type people are allowed on fox news or cnn or mainstream media is because they're controlled opposition and i think Again, I think that there are more people who are opening their eyes to this. You know, there's a certain uh, narrow band of talking points that are allowed. And there are a lot of people who push, I mean, who push the boundaries and try and tug at the leash uh, to go as far as they can. But they're limited. And so, uh, you know, we have an interesting plight in that we've been disavowed. Uh, and you, of course, more than me, because I still am able to maintain my my platforms such as they are on Twitter and Facebook. I know I've been shadow banned and, and follower suppressed for at least five, probably 10 years um, because I was at the forefront of using so much of this social media. Um, but we're finding new outlets and, you know, you've built up a huge 
following yourself and it's just getting people to uh, wean themselves off of these discriminatory platforms. Um, and I mean, they are the enemy. People yeah. don't understand yeah. that about Silicon Valley. I'm using it sort of as like, uh, you know, jujitsu to the extent that I'm still on it. Um, I'm trying to direct people away from it. And at some point I, and I've, I've said this publicly, I will unplug those platforms before they unplug me. But at this point, they still have use. For example, I will be able to tweet out <laughs> our interview and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, but rightly watch will be all over it immediately. Right? You know, Jared Holt's going to be writing oh, yeah. the piece now. I already see it, you know. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's got like a macro. It's like a copy paste. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, last question for you. So are you playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons during uh, self-quarantine? Because I heard that you're a D&D &D fan. <laughs> you know, I am an old school <gasps> gamer. And so funny. it is a, a, appropriate. They call me mommy malkin among a certain set of gamers yeah. um and yes we've got the manuals and we will uh we've got my whole stash of, of old school board games <laughs> and yes yeah, so kind of quaint retro feel that's uh you know, it's, it's one of the silver linings of this quarantine period. I remember during the 90s, the kids that were playing d and was mostly uh, goth kids. <laughs> In the 90s, a lot of goth, you know, super pale guys wearing lots of black. But it's, it's good to hear that it's still out there. I also heard that, what was, I think you're the one who did a video about it back in 2018 or something, how I was accused of perpetuating systems of white oppression or something by playing the game. Like, that's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> Right. There was a this sort of SJW uh, backlash against Gary Gygax and, you know, some of the originators of uh, of these uh, old school games. And um, when I was growing up in the 70s and early 80s, it wasn't goth kids. It was total nerds. Mm. And so I, I think that's the secret is that, you know, I've always been a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're pretty hip for a nerd. So tell us about obviously we know your websites, but uh, books, uh, you've written a lot of books, actually, I think like six books. Uh, I haven't read one, but I should pick up your last one. Any events, anything that you have going on, anything you want to let us know about? Um, well, I am using Telegram more, so you can find me at Telegram at Michelle Malkin. And uh, yeah, I mean, all seven, my, uh, this, uh, Oprah Borders Inc. was my seventh book. They're all available on Amazon. Um, you know, but Amazon is one of those, you know, companies that I have a lot of ambivalence about, mm. you know, I mean, Jeff Bezos has, has uh, been one of the big funders of, of Open Borders Incorporated. Um, but you can buy my books directly through uh, my publisher, my main publisher, Regnery at regnery.com. Um, and of course, I continue my nationally syndicated newspaper column, which you can access every week at michellemalkin.com. One of these con inkers tried to uh, uh, initiate a boycott against my um, syndicate, my my newspaper syndicate, and failed because she was too lazy to um, find the client list. She wanted me to hand it to her, um, but that just goes to show you the the quality of conservative ink journalism these days. Uh, and I see uh, I see the town hall screen here. They stopped carrying my column. Oh, there really? Was a, the con yeah. Oh. So I recommend uh, an, another uh, website that has. Uh, well, there's vdare.com, which is, yeah. uh, has carried my column since almost its inception in 2000. Uh, let's see, I started getting syndicated in 1999. They've carried it since 2000 or 2001, uh, and cnsnews.com. But uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of uh, true colors. Yay, there's vdare. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Brimlow is a hero. Um, of course, Alienation uh, was published, I think, 25 years ago. It's wow. his quarter century um, milestone of that book, which was really, you know, one of the most prescient when it came to forecasting everything that we're suffering through now. Yep, yep. I think you have the gift, so you're on the right path, and uh, you know, we can we see it's inevitable where things are going and where they need to go. So, well, thank you so much for giving us time today. I really appreciate it. It's been great getting to know you too. Thank you. Take care, Lana. I love her. She's great. She's one of those nice, warm people that you can connect with immediately. Let her story be encouraging to all of us because this political ideological war is far from over. It is just getting going and we are beginning to change the tide. And we have many allies in places we don't even know about yet. Thank you for supporting Red Ice. We can't do this without you and we remain 
because of you through your memberships and donations. A little goes a long way to keep our boots on the ground. And please share, share, share all our content. Now that we are banned pretty much everywhere, it's up to you to help us get the word out. So please share. Look out for exclusive members videos from me and of course, more interviews. And of course, don't forget Flashback Friday, Weekend Warrior and No Go Zone each week. But since I'll be out on maternity leave, we have some excellent co-hosts lined up, so don't miss it. Thank you so much. Love you all. See you soon.